Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, Greater Skewed and Reviewed, and you can join us anytime online at sknr.net. You can also catch us online at Pinal, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword skewed, where you'll see our uh, reviews for video games in the uh, 12 papers uh, appearing in 20 cities. We have Skewed and Reviewed, the magazine. We're currently working on the new issue that has a summer uh, preview of movies and stuff that are upcoming. That'll be out in March. And, of course, each week I am on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSW FM. We cover all things movies, games, television, entertainment, travel, pop culture, and more. And I'm joined, as always, with Justin and Michael. And we have a quick show for you today. But we wanted a little bit due to the fact that slower news week because of the Olympics and stuff. Uh, but uh, also just not as much riveting news. So we're going to start with a couple of things and then I will uh, we'll get to the topics at hand. One of them is breaking and we're just really excited over the possibilities of this one. So right now uh, in Mesa and in various cities around the country, Jurassic Quest that you can find at JurassicQuest.com has got their animatronic dinosaur and creature exhibit on hand. It is uh, fantastic for families, people of all ages. Last year they did them as a drive-through venue. You saw various companies doing it. This is a walk-through event and ticket start as uh, reasonably as $19. So you definitely want to check that out. We have some video on our site from uh, staff members who went out there. And like I said, right now they are in Mesa as well as Louisville, Kentucky and Minneapolis. They'll be heading to Tucson, uh, next week, Grand Forks, Pittsburgh, they have um, multiple cities at the same time and others. So you definitely want to check that out. Another thing I wanted to mention really quickly is that we have our review up now for Death on the Nile, which is the latest telling of the classic Agatha Christie story and an update of the 1978 film. And once again, Kenneth Branagh is back to direct and play Master Detective Hercule Poirot. It's got an all-star cast, Gal Gadot, Army Hammer, and more, and it involves a murder mystery, obviously set on the infamous Nile River. It has some fantastic uh, scenery. It's got some really good uh, twists and turns to it. I was able to pick it out. I vaguely remember the first, not to the point of being able to say who did it or who didn't, but I was able to, it was uh, fun. I was able to solve it pretty quickly, at least who, the who was behind it. But the mechanics were a lot more complicated, and you certainly had plenty of doubt on the way. And afterwards, the studio rep asked, what was your clue? And I told them, and they said, actually, that's really good. We didn't catch that. That, that actually makes a lot of sense. So uh, love that. And with Knives Out 2 already being confirmed in a pending reel from uh, Netflix is coming out later this year. I'm really interested to see how um, the whodunits are going to do uh, going forward. There's a couple on Netflix right now that are um, going over well, like Murderville and Kirsten Bell's film series. So we shall see. Uh, really quick, before we got in, into the two topics, I wanted to mention that Far Cry 6 will be releasing the last. And I did ask them, I said, are there anything else planning like episodic content or uh, mission expansions? And they said, as of now, this is it. So Joseph Collapse comes to Far Cry 6 on February 8th, and so players will get their chance to play as Joseph C., the villain from Far Cry 5, and uh, so it'll be interesting to play. This is keeping in 
the theme of playing the villain from Far Cry 3 and then Far Cry 4 in the previous DLCs. So check that out. Okay, guys, so this week, Sony did its uh, showcase, which is supposed to be all about Gran Turismo. And then all of a sudden, we got the news that Ghostwire Tokyo uh, dropped some gameplay, and it's going to be out sooner rather than later in March. Now, what's even more interesting about this is that it is a Bethesda studio release, and as we know, Bethesda was acquired by Microsoft. But because of a contractual arrangement that was put in place prior to the purchase, this game is coming out uh, basically as a PC and PlayStation exclusive. No Xbox at this time. Justin, start us off. What do you think? Yeah, so that is a very interesting uh, development, um, given what's going on in the industry with all of the, the buyouts and um, the consolidations. Uh, it seems like, you know, a lot of companies are being gobbled up by both... Uh, Sony and Xbox, uh, or Sony and Microsoft rather. So that I think that's a pretty interesting development that they're, you know, still willing to kind of give this big win to Sony, because uh, you know, uh, watching the the gameplay for it, it, it looks really good. Like it's it's it seems really interesting, really high production value, um, and, and honestly very unique too. Uh, I've been a pretty big fan of. Um, I mean, it's a relatively new studio, Tango Softworks. They've really only worked on Evil Within and Evil Within 2 um, for Bethesda. But um, it's head, headed by uh, Shinji Mikami, who you know, famously worked on the Resident Evil series all the way up through Resident Evil 4. Uh, so he is definitely a major industry veteran. Um, and you know, watching this gameplay, it's, it's really interesting. It's you know, got some stealth elements, some RPG elements. The setting is uh, you know, like modern-day Tokyo with a lot of supernatural elements. You're fighting sort of ghosts uh kind of based on japanese folklore um and it's not really like your your typical shooter it's uh you're using spells and uh sorcery and kind of things like that um to time kind of take out your your enemies so it looks really cool um but going back to the the, the initial point i was uh, going to make was um i don't know if this is one of those things where um sony and microsoft are kind of like trying to ease people's minds, I guess, a little bit. You know, I, I'm guessing uh, as time goes on, we'll, we'll probably see more and more uh, of these kinds of games uh, locked out from their their, uh, their their competitor's console. But for now, I think, you know, it is kind of like a, I don't know, a diplomatic solution, I guess, where, um, if that makes sense, where uh, basically these acquisitions just happen. Bethesda is obviously under Microsoft, but the a lot of these... Um, deals had already been made um, previously, so I think you know it's probably a, a sign of goodwill to to continue to honor those. Um, just for now, uh, I you know I sort of expect that going forward we'll see these kinds of things stop. But I think it is a good sign that uh, Microsoft is you know willing to kind of give uh, Sony this uh, this exclusive for a little while. Um, or at least exclusive in terms of marketing, because uh, it does show that you know maybe there's some goodwill between the two competitors here, and we'll see more um, you know cross-platform kind of stuff. Absolutely, and um, Michael, your take, please. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, I think they had even said Bungie had initially said I'm Bungie. Sorry, I got Bungie on the mind still. Uh, Bethesda had even said I think when they were acquired that they would still be honoring the 
the agreement they had made with Sony with a um, timed exclusive for Ghostwire, um, ex- exclusive to the console. It's coming out on PC, obviously, as well. Although I think if you pre-order it on PlayStation, you get it a, a week earlier or, or something like that to, to play it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it was. It's too much of a surprise um, that they're honoring that. Uh, I will be curious um, going forward. Uh, again, how much exclusivity are we going to see? from a lot of these um, acquisitions. I know Bungie had already come out and said they're not going to be exclusive. Um, they're they're going to be multi-platform and continue to be so. Again, whether or not that changes uh, down the road, you know, these things are always uh, subject to change, right? Um, I do think, I, I, at least I hope, I think Sony's getting to a point where um, console exclusives um, specifically are probably not in their best interest, um, at least with a PC um console release that it does open them up to a wider audience i don't think they're going to go away uh, completely from exclusivity uh, it just doesn't seem to be sony's um way of doing business which is unfortunate because that really just hurts the the uh people who buy the buy the you know the consoles and, and the equipment it doesn't really um isn't really good for um the consumer at all but at the same time um uh, you know Going back to the game, it looks fantastic. I really like the take uh, that they're they're going with it, the kind of paranormal um, slash stealth slash shooter type game. Um, I like the uh, the concept. I really like the environment. It looks really fantastic, and the fact that it's coming out in just a little over a month, I think that's pretty exciting. So yeah, we'll see how how it does. But I think from a uh, just for something different, you know, a genre that's a little bit um, I think still underserved a bit from the the horror slash um, um, you know, action RPG type elements. I'm really excited to see how it turns out. I am curious to see what the reaction is going to be from the consumers, whether they will buy it on PC, if they will wait to say, let's see if, if it comes on Xbox, or are you going to see a lot of the PlayStation owners rush out and buy it to essentially send a message to Bethesda, we're st- still a very viable well, not that we're still, that we are an extremely viable platform and it is not in your best interest with future titles to do exclusives because look at the kind of uh, market and demand that we have for your products. So that, I think, is going to be the big question, aside from the quality of the game, is just how receptive the Sony market, and by that I mean the ones who are specifically playing exclusively on console, are going to be and if it will change the strategy going forward so that will be really interesting because you know we've already heard the call of duty plan is not to um mix things up considerably uh but you know who knows it is an ever-changing industry and uh that would be something to definitely keep an eye on i I know those evil within games are certainly a lot of uh uh, you know, to say they're fun is kind of an understatement because they are an enjoyable game, but they are certainly challenging. And I uh, remember several um, booth uh, things that they had, such as you could take your photo and have the barbed wire wrapped around it. And I remember doing a playtest of it at um, PAX, and they, you know, they took us in a darkened room. It wasn't even available to most of the people on the floor, but they took the media into this darkened room to let us play it. And I can tell you, playing the game in a darkened room with headphones on is definitely an enjoyable experience. I think similar to playing Alien Isolation at E3 and seeing hardened 
uh, journalists take off their headsets within minutes and say, yeah, this is too intense. I can't do this. So that was a lot of fun. So moving on, guys, uh, had some news come out today. Have not been able to confirm it, but it is uh, making the rounds that the pending Star Wars Syrian Andor with Diego Luna about Cassian Andor from Rogue One uh, apparently has impressed the executives so much that they've gone ahead and ordered a season two before season one has even dropped. So uh, assuming for a moment that this is indeed correct, we'll start with you, Michael. What do you make of this? Yeah, so I was always a little bit, I don't know. I would, So I, for the record, I think Rogue One was still one of the best of the new Star Wars movies to come out. Um, even so much as I think it's even better than a lot of the prequel um, trilogy movies were. Um, so so I, I was excited when I, I heard they were going to be kind of invest, you know, investing a bit more in that universe, uh, particularly with Cassian Andor, because I thought he was a, a pretty interesting character. What I didn't know, or I still don't, I guess I don't know, is um, what the what the hook is going to be as far as, you know, where where's that focus going to lie? Because in because in some ways he was kind of, uh, you, you know, he, he kind of reminded me of like a Han Solo-ish type character. Um, obviously, we'll get to see um, more of his relationship with uh, K2SO and um, and and probably how how they you know how he. I guess is a good way to 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 say that and how they uh, started working together. I, I do think there's a lot of opportunity to do a lot of things because it's kind of outside outside of the lore um, because again it's it's pre Star Wars but several you know quite a while after the prequel movies so it does kind of give them a lot of ways to um, invest in that part time of the universe where there isn't already a lot of of lore outside of the books surrounding a lot of that. So it, do, it does give them a lot of freedom to not have to worry about, you know, other characters in the universe um, that, you know, that, that we're aware of. So it does give them a lot of freedom. Um, and, and it kind of like how I think the, the Mandalorian does. Um, Book of Boba Fett, uh, you know, again, it's, I think it's fantastic, but it, it does rely a bit more on known characters because of the time frame uh, where Mandalorian had a lot more um, opportunity to expand a bit uh, given the fact that those characters were all fairly new and, and unexplored for the most part as well. So I think Andor could do that too. And and I think what we've seen from Disney Plus so far is that they are willing to take a lot of uh, uh, money, effort, time, and resources to really dig into uh, these characters and really deliver solid storylines. Um, and, and not saying that every episode is, uh, is a home run, but I think generally speaking, everybody would agree that um, the Star Wars movies we've seen uh, from Disney Plus so far have been outstanding um, and again better than a lot of the movies that have come out already um, so again I'll be interested to see um, it, it, I think it's good news that they've already ordered a second season um, but what we have seen is that studio execs don't always have the pulse of the people that are watching their movies um, so I think it's still going to be up to the, the fan base to see how the draw is but again I think Disney Plus is making a name for itself in, in quality and what they're releasing so it doesn't surprise me that they're already thinking um, season two. I, I assume they would have been doing the same thing when they watched Mandalorian uh, and those types of things as well. So, so yeah, I'm excited to see how they do um, with it. And I, I think it is a good sign that it, it probably will be another um, outstanding opportunity for Disney Plus to kind of expand on the Star Wars universe. And Justin, your take, please. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, uh, I think Michael made some really, really good points. Uh, I also liked uh rogue one quite a bit um 
I think honestly, it might it might be my favorite of uh, the newer Star Wars movies that have come out. Um, I have to think about that, but I'm I'm pretty sure I, I think I enjoyed that one the most. And um, you know, it, it's always a double edged sword because uh, you know, the Mandalorian I think was was the strongest when it didn't lean so heavily into the the Jedi elements, because um, I think and and. I think there's a huge opportunity for Andor to kind of do the same thing where uh, I would kind of like to see an entire show that doesn't have any Jedi on it at all. Now, I know the Jedi are obviously a huge uh, part of the Star Wars universe, incredibly important, but, um, you know, I think the universe is obviously large enough to explore, um, you know, without having the Jedi, you know, front and center in the story. Uh, not really to dig at the Mandalorian, Mandalorian is great, but, um, and, you know, it was awesome seeing where, where they took the story, especially with, uh, um, with the child and, you know, where that ends up. But the double-edged sword with that was that, you know, eventually it starts to feel really like samey, I guess. And I just think there's a huge missed opportunity to kind of just take in a whole entire, uh, Star Wars story, Star Wars series and make it about um, stuff that's going on elsewhere in the galaxy that doesn't involve the Jedi. You know, I really liked the, the approach early on in The Mandalorian that um, no one had really, in this area of the galaxy, had even really heard of them. Like, they were basically just rumors and legends, and no one really, no one really, uh, you know, in, in that, you know, kind of fringe area of the galaxy really even believed that they existed. So uh, it kind of just... I think adds to the scale of the universe when you can kind of explore areas that, that don't really, you know, feature the Jedi so much. So I think that's a really good opportunity. Um, you know, and I think it will, it'll have the benefit of also, um, making Rogue One even a better movie because there will now be more characterization. And that was really kind of the only gripe I maybe may have had was, you know, good, good cast of characters, um, in Rogue One, but, uh, there were so many of them and it was, you know, they had to kind of introduce them and then also tell the story they were going to tell. So I think there is an opportunity to kind of go into this backstories for each of the characters and, you know, particularly with Andor and maybe K2SO and kind of flesh them out a little bit. That way, when you you know go back and watch the or, uh, uh, Rogue One again, you have a little bit more context as to, you know, who these characters are. The interesting thing about it is I think it shows a real faith in the television series more than the movies and the fact that let's look at the movies that have been done while Rogue One as I think most people said it's hard for a lot of people to have bad things to say about that film we know that there were some issues about Solo in terms of the reshooting and the oh I don't want to see someone other than Harrison Ford and all this but I think if you take that side away from it most people at the end of the day said it was an enjoyable enough film. Uh, there was some Star Wars burnout because I think it did come too quickly from the most recent. I mean, they had kind of locked into this December release and the fact that they, they did one in December and then put the other one out in the summer. And there was all the hubbub about, oh, you know, we reshot a big chunk of the film and so on and so forth. And I think maybe that didn't quite sit as well. And then you had people saying, I don't want someone else other than Han Solo. I mean, Harrison Ford playing this character. 
But then once they got past all of that and they looked at it, most people came out and did say, you know what, I kind of like the film. And when you get to the prequels, they've divided fans. A lot of people had various issues with things. But I think one of the things that we can notice is that we've discussed how there wasn't a clear plan with them. It essentially, Abrams did the first film, handed off to the other director who essentially did his own thing and then handed it off to another director. And of course, we know Colin Trevorrow was working away. There was well-known documentation that apparently he wanted a darker film and he had all these elements. We've seen some of the concept artwork. Then it came down to, well, apparently they couldn't agree on the last half of the film, uh, the last third of the film and how it would wrap up. He walked away. He was um, replaced with Abrams, who essentially was handed what had been done and told, okay, wrap it all up, bring it home. And that was kind of an impossible story. It seemed like they tried to throw everything they possibly could. And the difference is the TV series are going in with a very clear outline. And I think it shows. And I think the fact that you also have these same creative people. Yes, it is uh, Favreau's uh, series, but he's smart enough to know that I'm gonna bring Take A, I'm gonna bring in Bryce Dallas Howard, and I'm also going to bring in Robert Rodriguez. Now, while he's still overseeing it, he's working with people that they have a clear plan. And I think you're seeing that. I think without giving anything away, I look at the situation that's coming up for Book of Boba Fett. And I say they have to be doing a second season because there's absolutely no way that they can resolve the storylines that they opened up in one more episode. And unless they decide that these are going to be revisited in um, Mandalorian season three or in some of the other shows that are currently in the works, I would expect that this will happen. Swinging back to Andor, this is interesting because this is where it all came about. The um, news of a second season of Andor came about when um, during an interview where Skarsgård was being, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who people might know played Galen Erso in Rogue One, uh, was doing an interview and in a um, uh, foreign publication, and he talked about his uh, plan, and he said, we start with Dune 2 in July, and then in the autumn, uh, it's time for the second season of Star Wars series, Ander. I don't know when they'll start broadcasting it. It can take some time. But the fact that he came out and said they're already filming planning to film season two of the show before season one even ended, got people going. Now, uh, to say that these Star Wars films had multiple seasons, uh, series had multiple seasons planned, isn't necessarily a shock. The fact, though, that it came out ahead of time. I mean, like right now, if somebody said to me, they're already planning Mandalorian season four, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, it's expected. We've heard stories that five seasons was the plan going in, and I, you know, there's no reason to de uh, deviate from that. But the fact that they've announced it before the first episode's even aired, before there's even been reaction, I think it's a great thing because it shows them having enough confidence. And, you know, Tony Gilroy, Oscar-winning Tony Gilroy, is uh, shepherding the series. So I, I think we've got some really good things ahead. And, you know, just looking at the year, you've got the Obi-Wan series, you've got the Bad Batch. Um, we are going to get Andor, and who knows, we may even get Ahsoka uh, later this year and you know people still say don't entirely uh, give up on Rangers of the New Republic making an appearance somewhere down the line so 
lots of good stuff. Well, gentlemen, I think that's going to do it for this week. I want to thank you all for listening. And until next week, everybody, take care. We'll talk to you soon.